Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Today, my guest is Tom Andriola. He is currently the General Manager of Healthcare Informatics at Philips Healthcare Greater China, a business dedicated to technology, innovation, improving patient care, and saving lives. He's also responsible at Philips for Informatics businesses in Latin America and India and manages a global organization of more than 600 people. He's a sought-after speaker on developing technology trends in healthcare and changes happening in the world's emerging healthcare markets. Tom Andriola has been with Philips for 10 years and held several management positions running healthcare businesses and driving business transformation programs. Prior to Philips, he helped start several technology businesses and spent time as a chief information officer. He has an engineering degree from George Washington University and the University of South Carolina and an executive MBA from Stanford University. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening even. Uh, this is to the audience, and I think this is a good afternoon to you, Tom. Good afternoon, or good morning to you, Chris, in, yeah. in Europe. It's, uh, it's 9.39 here, so it's uh, 9.39 in the morning on March 12th, uh, 2013. That's the recording date. It's a Tuesday. What's the time on your, uh, on your end, Tom, please? We're about 4.30 here in Shanghai, China. Okay, you're in Shanghai, China. You, you don't sound very Chinese to me. Can you give the audience a bit of um, of a background uh, of who you are, um, where you are, and what keeps you busy nowadays? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Tom Andriola. Uh, I'm a general manager of uh, healthcare informatics for Philips. Um, you may hear from my accent that I'm American. So I actually am American, raised in the United States. But uh, in my business career, I've had the opportunity now to uh, live and work on four different continents. Wow. And uh, Chris and I met while I was uh, living and working in uh, Europe, in the Netherlands. And I'm currently now uh, living with my family in Shanghai, China. And uh, it's our first experience with uh, the Asian continent. And so it's uh, offering quite a bit of, uh, of challenges and learnings for us uh, adapting to, uh, to life in China. I can imagine. Which other continents? You mentioned Europe, China now? So, so, so North America, Europe, uh, Asia now, and I, I've done work in Latin and South America and had the opportunity to, to live down there for in short uh, periods of time. Okay, which country was that? Uh, Brazil is uh, Brazil and Brazil and Puerto Rico. That's uh, that's that's quite an extensive uh, uh, experience. Typically for uh, for an American, uh, as some listeners might actually uh, actually think. Um, so, are you a cured American now, or since you have a broader outlook of the world? You know, my my wife likes to joke that uh, the more time we spend outside of the country, the less American I become. Right. So I say, well, you know, I, you know, after you spend time living in other parts of the world and you, and you realize that, you know, they just have a different way of approaching life and its challenges, you start to use the word, the more the word different than, you know, right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So I, I like to call myself a global citizen, you know, more than an American, because again, I feel like I've been influenced by the experiences I've had to live in live in different cultures. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Now, uh, I know a lot of the audience uh, comes will come from the United States uh, listening to this podcast as well. Which part of the U.S. are you from? Because I know that also will bring with it cultural differences. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I grew up on the eastern part of the United States, about uh, two hours outside of New York City. So, um, you know, I have the kind of that, that East Coast bent uh, in my personality. Uh, so but I've lived in different parts of the U.S., including the South, Midwest and West Coast. So uh, so again, even from an American perspective, I'm pretty blended in terms of, you know, some of the regional differences that exist within the U.S. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, you you started your overseas career. Was that in the Netherlands first or South America? Uh, South America was my first experience. Okay. It was before I was married and had a family. Um, okay. And uh, and again, that was you know being able to immerse yourself in a different way when you're just on your own. Uh, and uh, you know, really enjoyed that. And then Chris, where you and I met, you know, I was at that point married, had uh, three children, and you know, the European experience was one where it was adapting as a family with, with small children at the time mm -hmm. into the European environment and, and taking advantage of all Europe had to offer. Yeah. Um, what, was, what was your first memorable encounter of a different culture? Um, you know, first encounter, you know, if we go back to, uh, you know, my experience in Latin and South America, you know, was... Uh, you know, the different pace, I just, I remember because I was a hard charging, you know, American early in my career. And we went to Latin and South America and, and experienced the manana, as they like to call it in, yeah. in certain countries. And, and just the the very, very different work-life balance that, that came with it and an enjoyment of life that uh, is actually very easy to get used to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was my first cultural experience about how things, you know, uh, you know were kind of different, how people approached life in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and again, I think that brought to me, a, you know, kind of a different life perspective and altered my worldview and also the way that I you know, chose to then, you know, approach the next stage of my life. Mm -hmm. Did that make you any less hard charged as you called yourself then? Um, I mean, your experience yeah, in, maybe, in South America, yeah, maybe, your maybe, attitude. Maybe, Yeah, I, certainly while you were there, you, you know, you need to fit in. I mean, I think one of the things that has allowed me to work in different cultures and, and have success in different environments is the fact that, that I have created the ability to be somewhat of a chameleon and fit in. I don't think you can take your ways into another environment and and really have long-term success if you're not willing to kind of adapt to the local environment, right? I mean, the The saying, uh, when in, you know, when in Rome do as the Romans do really does apply to wherever you travel in the world. Yeah. So, you know, so the first, the first part was adapting to the local environment and, and really kind of fitting in and playing by their rules. And, and if you open yourself up to that, you learn a lot about the, you know, the different way of looking at life and approaching life and the way people, um, you know, look at career opportunities and how much time and energy they're willing to put into their mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not a right or wrong thing. It's choices that people that people make. And, and yeah. the more you understand those choices, the more you're able to kind of reflect how how you want that to impact, you know, your old your own way of approaching life yeah, and get more of a relative uh, view of your of, of how you are known to do business yourself, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
can you pinpoint one uh, like one great difference between your first experience being an an un-American like the average American that doesn't exist but for the sake of an argument between say the American and uh, and South America can you uh, just uh, sort of describe for us the uh, one of the biggest differences that you found as being an American your first time being in South America Yeah, sure. I'll share a story with uh, with you that um, you know I was down there, and um, one of the stark differences was how the business day started between the two cultures. Mm-hmm. And I think in in American culture, we tend to come to the office. There might be a little bit of chit chat, you know, grab a cup of coffee, but we we kind of get at it pretty pretty quickly mm-hmm. into the day. And I, I just have this you know, memory of, of the mornings in, uh, in this case, in, in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. where you'd roll into the office about 930. Uh, you'd leave at 945 to go out of the office to get a cup of coffee where you'd sit and chat uh, while you're getting a cup of coffee with uh, not only your, your workmates, but also with uh, anyone kind of sitting. It was more of an at- outdoor cafe setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd roll around uh, the office after you got back and, and probably the first meeting would start about 11. And then by 1230, people were ready to go out and grab lunch and lunch was usually an hour and a half, two hour affair. So it, it was just, you know, the pace and the dialogue, you know, was uh, and the interaction uh, in the office between individuals was just very different. You know, uh, and it was just, uh, you, know, you know, again, not necessarily bad, not necessarily, you know, when you looked at what you got done over the course of a week or a month, but it, it just had a very, very different feel and, and certainly it took me some time to get used to and just kind of tone down the intensity level okay. to kind of match what you know, was going on with the rest of the people in, in the environment. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and doesn't that give you kind of like the initial frustration, like how do people ever get anything done here? Yeah, I have to say that that was probably what went through my head for quite a while until I kind of fit in. And and then, of course, once you kind of, you know, you, you, you kind of stop trying to change it and you just try to adapt into it, mm-hmm. you figure out the, the rules a little bit better, right? And how things get done and how, you know, you don't have to have long conversations with, uh, with uh, you know, 10,000 opinions, mm-hmm. but that, you know, there can be a couple of small conversations over that cup of coffee that can move things along pretty quickly. As well, on the side in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. And then after South America, you came back to the U.S. So you, I mean, you, you, you came back to your own fishbowl, as, as I usually call it, call it, your own culture. And then you had to deal with the Dutch. So you moved to uh, Eindhoven. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So how, how, how did um, that some... Because the thing is, a lot of people, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say that the cultural differences between the U.S. and the Dutch are really not that great. And I, I beg to differ. How was your experience? You know, I, I I would agree with you. And again, you and I worked together during uh, my time in the Netherlands. So, you know, I learned a lot from you about uh, the differences. And, you know, for, for those who maybe haven't had that experience, you know, the, in terms of adaptability of an American into another culture, probably the UK and, and Australia are at the top of the list. But then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Dutch are, are right behind that because there is a lot of similarities in the way that, you know, kind of life is set up and a lot of the things that, that we as Americans are accustomed to and, and, and getting access to are similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit more subtle. You know, the Dutch also, you know, start speaking English at a very early age. And True. so their competence and their ability to communicate 
you know, broadly with the language is, is fairly easy at the adult level. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's deceiving that, you know, that because you can communicate easily that you think in the same way. And I think that's where um, a lot of the, the misunderstandings come from because, you know, the cultures, as you said, are quite different when you get into, you know, styles of, of how teams work together um, how decisions get made, mm-hmm. um, how they get deployed and communicated through the organization, uh, there are quite a few differences. And I have to say that my own experience, having been um, you know, very successful at leading teams, and especially at leading troubled teams mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S., and being deployed to the Netherlands into a similar situation, I found that a lot of the tools that I had developed as a manager and leader mm-hmm. fell flat when put into a different environment. And I think that's when I really stepped back mm-hmm. and said, whoa, wait a minute, I, I, I need to really reassess my approach on a lot of these things because it just, it, my old tricks really just aren't working anymore. Can you, can you give an example of, of something like a style of management that would work or that you've tried in the US in your, in your say, previous jobs or positions that, didn't, that really didn't work in, in the Netherlands? Oh, I, I could I, I could probably take the next three hours to do it, but I'll, I'll pick one. Why not take three uh, hours? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'll pick one because you know it, it, it's you know one of those that I think it makes for a good story. So my my uh, my deployment to the Netherlands was around taking over a, a troubled operation and try to bring it back into, into the right level of performance. And um, this particular you know. Uh, team, you know, kind of had a had a report that had come out of an, an, an internal audit that was a, kind of a black eye. And the first order of business in terms of uh, putting the things back on the right path was to kind of re- respond to this report and kind of, you know, get the grade improved, if I could use that analogy. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of like being in, in uh, you know, in purgatory, you know, just, you know, we, we were paying, you know, paying a lot, you know, dealing with the punishment of having gotten this bad report. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of medial effort to, to bring it up to the, the status where now it was a passing grade. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, after we had passed and, you know, there was quite a, you know, quite a number of months of, of hard effort, you know, really focused hard effort to get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, in very American style, I felt that we needed to celebrate the victory oh, yeah. and, and essentially, Make the proclamation that you know the past is behind us, and it's now about charting a a new path forward. And of course, in very American style, you know, I I, I brought in champagne to the office, and we all had a drink and toast. And I took the report, and in very grandiose American style, I took the report and I ripped a piece of paper and threw it all up in the air so that it was ripped and you know into confetti and thrown around the room and saying, "This is our past, and our past is behind us, and it's now about moving forward and being a different team and yeah. being a valued contributor to the organization." And of course, you know, everyone just kind of stood there, fell flat on his face. There were no rousing cheers. You know, no nods. And so I I asked my HR person, I'm like, what did I do wrong? I mean, I just, you know, that wasn't the reaction I was expecting. And I said, what, so what did people think about this whole thing? And, and the the feedback was, oh yeah, we had a nice drink with Tom. They were happy that I brought champagne into the office, but there was no kind of reaction and kind of that, you know, that things that Americans kind of, they kind of rally around, you know, they rally around the situation, the moment. Um, And the Dutch just don't react that way. 
you know, it's just they have a different way of dealing with those situations. And it's not that they didn't enjoy the moment. They didn't think that the moment was special and and needed a, a, let's say, an event to memorialize it, Mm -hmm. but just not in a way that we as Americans do. And I think that was a stark moment for me as an individual to say, I need to manage and lead this team differently than I have teams in the past. And that's and that was then a start on, I think, for me, a very fruitful journey to kind of learn what that meant and turn me from what I would consider myself beforehand to be a successful American manager into really being a cool manager. Yeah. Is that something that you maybe experienced as well in in, in terms of reaction uh, of, uh, say, the Dutch or maybe the South Americans as well? Like there is an American. Why is there an American and why is there not a South American or a Dutchman, depending on the on the different situations? Uh, certainly in the Netherlands, that that was part of, I think it's something I dealt with, right? Uh, you know, part of, of the situation, at least the, the way management looked at it was they wanted to bring an outsider mm. um, in. They felt like, you know, some of what needed to happen in terms of driving, um, you know, a higher performance culture and setting the bar a little bit higher, they wanted an outsider's perspective. And I think that was one of the reasons why I was, I was asked to uh, take on the assignment, and, and the uh, but I certainly no. I, I certainly think that you know th- there was kind of certain individuals and in, in certain situations where it was questions like, well, you know, why why did we need to bring in someone from outside of our culture? It's prim- yeah. was primarily a Dutch team, yeah. um, and uh, why was that needed? Yeah. Uh, and um, I think it was a valid question. Uh, but over time, I think, and this is what some of the some of the people realized, and certainly was part of my charter, was. While it was a Dutch team when I came there, the goal was to make it a global team. And mm-hmm. over the time that we took that team, and, and we ended up over time tripling the size of that team. Mm-hmm. By the time it was done, you know there were you know seven or eight different cultures represented, you know, including quite a big American contingent in terms of an operation that we took on in the U.S. An Indian uh, contingent that we uh, that we built as part of the organization. So we became a three continent organization with a very, very different feel, much more of a global enterprise feel rather than, you know, a Dutch team in the Netherlands, which is where we started. Okay. Excellent. And thanks for that, that illustration and that, that honesty about um, trying to imitate Steve Ballmer with uh, celebrating success um, and the Dutch not really liking that. And after uh, your, uh, your job in the Netherlands, I think you went back to, uh, the U.S. to San Francisco again, or to San Francisco? Yes, um, my, my next assignment was in it was in San Francisco. Is there in, in so two times you've been two times out of the country? I mean, in this, if you want to call this the, the, the timeline, the historic timeline, at any of these times that you returned to the U.S., did you look at the American culture differently? Absolutely. I, I don't think you can, if, if, especially if you've lived in another country um, and and truly l- lived from the standpoint of, you know, not lived in a hotel, you know, but but lived in a, lived in a neighborhood, mm-hmm. shopped at the local shops, tried to figure out how to get your car fixed. Right. H- how to figure out how to find the equivalent of Home Depot in, in another country and, you know, where to get a set of wrenches or or to do a small little project, the kind of things that you you, you want to buy, uh, buy from a hardware store. You know, when you experience things at that level, you, you start to really understand the differences of, you know, just everything, the way life is set up and even where to find things in a store. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can be, you know, greatly different. And, and, and it's amazing when you go outside your country, how you realize those little things that just seem to make 
so little sense to you when you're in someone else's environment. Like, well, why is that particular item on th- in this row in the grocery store? Mm-hmm. That clearly doesn't belong, you know, with the hair care products. But that's where it is when you're when you're when you're shopping in the Albert Hein in the Netherlands. Yeah, and. And it's just about the way we, we, we think about things and what things we group together that you really um, you start to change. So when you go back to your home culture, you know, what you realize is that, you know, you, at least for me, I started to analyze, well, why do we think this way? Why, you know, why do we always take the, the positive spin on the situation? Yeah. You know, why, why do we, you know, try to always um, make things grandiose? Yeah. yeah. Right. Why do we always try to be so boastful as Americans? And, uh, you know, and I think it's just you start to analyze, you know, why things are the way they are. And for me, it, you know, it's a lot of fun. I personally enjoy it. It also makes for some great dinner conversation when you're with your friends and especially when you're with friends from other countries. You know, we've made a lot of friends in the U.S. who are foreigners who've had an opportunity to, to live in the U.S. and see it from the other perspective, yeah. being German and having a chance to live three or four years in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, you know, or, you know, being Dutch, going to uh, I've expatted several people myself, you know, Dutch and brought them to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they had to horribly apologize for how terrible their kids are at football after living in the U.S. for four or five years. <laughs> and they said, my child was going to be a great football star. And now we moved to your country and, you know, the kid stinks and they blame that. <laughs> thing, and I just have to apologize because they're right. <laughs> uh, you got a lot to make up for then. Huh? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and then and then Tom, I'm very curious to uh, to hear how China is 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 changing you or or has grown on you or uh, I don't know how maybe difficult it is uh, for you knowing you a little bit uh, for an, an American being in China at this moment. How is how is that working? How different is that to all of your previous experiences? Yeah, it, Chris, it's significantly different. Um, you know, I'm an American, you know, and, and a lot of Americans come from European descent. You know, I'm one of those. And so, you know, going to Europe, you know, while it's different, there's still, you know, quite a bit of familiarness that comes, um, you know, you know, with an assignment in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, language is only part of it. The, Amer- the Americans were made up of a lot of um, cultural melting and, and, and integration. And so a lot of things are familiar to us that we, that we experience in Europe. Um, when you go to Asia, you know, um, things are just significantly different. You know, the lack of an alphabet is is just a basic thing. You know, I, you know, pretty much any country in Europe, because it's based on a, you know, on a Roman alphabet, I can understand quite a bit and I can figure quite a bit out. Uh, you go to a character-based country and, you know, you just feel so lost in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for people who are listening to this, who've, who've gone into different cultures, um, you know, when you look different than everyone else that's on the street, you know, and you get the attention and people look at you because you are the one of, of a thousand that look different, you know, walking down a, you know, a, you know, a major thoroughfare, you can't help but feel different on a very different level. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Asia for, for me and for my family, you know, Asia is that, you know, I mean, there is standing out to a level where you are now a minority. I don't think I ever felt like a minority in, mm. in Europe, but in, in China, I have to say that there are days where you just really feel out of place yeah. um, and, and just a, a helplessness that I, I didn't experience in our European experience. What, what's your current biggest uh, difficulty, if not frustration, in dealing uh, with your new situation in China. 
Um, you know, let me let me break that into two answers, right? Let's talk about on kind of a you know a kind of a a personal and family level, and yep. then then on a professional level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think on a, on a personal level, you know, it's it's the challenge of communication and being understood, mm-hmm. you know, both ways, right? Uh, I mean, you deal with um, you know, Shanghai is a city of 22 million people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's huge. Um, you know, to a certain extent, we live our lives inside of, uh, you know, a, a foreigner's bubble yeah. where the foreigners congregate together and we live in communities and, and we have, you know, common shops where we're, we're a little bit more comfortable. When you get outside of that, it can feel really foreign and just the basic things of going into a grocery store and understanding what's chicken and what's pork mm-hmm. because you can't read the label and then you can't get anyone in the store who can communicate yeah. in English you know, you just have those type of just disconnects that can be very, very challenging. And so, you know, you learn to, you learn how to communicate well enough, at least this is what we've done, communicate well enough in those type of common situations so that those situations don't feel so helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that's on the, uh, you know, on, on the personal side. On the professional side, you know, I would have to say that, you know, coming to, to China, right, where labor is very plentiful, mm-hmm. um, you know, but you know, it's still a developing country. So, you know, the education level of the people coming out of universities is, is very different from what you get in Europe and North America. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that that uh, I think Western managers struggle with in, in working with the, the Chinese is um, the concept of taking initiative mm-hmm. is different. Yeah. You know, I won't say it's that some people would like to use the term that, you know, that that the Chinese don't take initiative. I, I, I beg to differ. But mm-hmm initiative is defined and approached in a very different way. And it has taken me time to figure out what initiative really means, how to explain that that's what I'm looking for in the situation and to how to judge the results of that. It it is, it is quite different yet. I think uh, everyone would agree that, you know, in any business, you're really looking for people to take initiative so that people are stepping up and taking on challenges and driving to success so that, you know, everything doesn't fall back on the leader. Uh, I've had to really, really reassess, you know, what initiative is in terms of my own context of, of how to judge that it's happening and whether it's being successful in, in trying to adapt as a manager in, in this culture. Thanks for, for breaking that up in, in, in the, the, the personal and, and business um split like that what's the i got like um three questions left for you the first question is what's the biggest joy of being in china um the food mm-hmm. and 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 the richness of the culture mm-hmm. um you know i don't think i've experienced a culture that has so much depth to it in everything that goes on mm-hmm. from the most you know mundane and simple things to the you know, the, the, you know, the, the ancient relics and, and sites that you can go see, there's just a depth here that, especially in contrast to the American culture, which mm-hmm. has only, you know, slightly over 200 years of history to draw from and, you know, tends to be fairly um, superficial, mm-hmm. you know, in a bad way, but just kind of superficial because we don't have a lot to draw from. Yeah. Uh, stark contrast of that to the Chinese who have 5,000 years of history and, and even the slightest interaction with them comes with a level of depth that, that just makes you step back in and, and say, wow. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, then uh, this is, uh, you might want to ponder on this. What I'm going to ask you now are like three tips, words of wisdom 
but you're a seasoned traveler and, and, and seasoned expat as well. Give the audience three cultural tips um, that they can take away that will benefit them when dealing with another culture. What would you tell the audience? Three things, if you can. Uh, sure. Uh, first, be open. You know, I, I think, you know, and, and everyone has to assess, you know, what, what open means and how open they can be. And some people are just generally more open than others. But I think it's just, you know, to be open to different um, experiences and different ways of, of doing things. Uh, so that, that would be one. And I think probably everyone you ask that question to probably has some, some form that sounds like that. And some understanding uh, of being openness. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, the second one is be willing to be influenced. And again, this is where I, I feel like I have been blessed to get a lot out of the experiences because not all, you know, I think we all have to ultimately be open if we're going to, you know, not hate the experience. Yeah. But being willing to be influenced means I'm willing to change my view of things um, by accepting things as being different and ex- trying, you know, trying to do them that way, even if it doesn't always meet the standards that I might have for myself or the situation. Yeah. And so I, I can definitely say that, you know, the experiences that I've had and, and what I've taken away and I think has made me just a, you know, a better human being is that, you know, I've allowed myself to be influenced by different people, different situations and different cultural norms mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, just I just think have, have added, you know, to the, you know, to the experience that I've been able to have on, on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, and so not everyone approaches that way. People, you know, people fit in, uh, but not everyone's willing to kind of change their view of how government should work. Absolutely. Right. You know, and how, you know, what should the, uh, what should the criteria be to drive an automobile? You know, there's just, you know, lots of things that are just different. And uh, I don't, I try, really try not to judge them as right or wrong, mm-hmm. but just accept them for what they are and then go from there. And that's not always easy. Yeah. Uh, and then the third is eat the food. <laughs> Food, food really is, food really is culture. You know, I mean, people have said that to me in the past, and you know, uh, you have to go into the Netherlands where you know the the There's cuisine no, is, is not to die for. <laughs> right, we, we you and I used to joke about that. Yeah, the cuisine is not to die for in the Netherlands, Absolutely. but food is culture in a lot of ways. Everything from um, from what it is to how it's prepared to how it's served, uh, and, and and what a meal is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it really is culture and you actually can get a lot out of understanding a culture through, um, you know, through, through food. Excellent. Excellent tip. Might actually do a, a blog post about that and food and culture. Excellent. Thanks for that. The, the last question, Tom, because I don't want to take more of your time and uh, the time of the audience as well. How can people get in touch with you should they want to? What's a good, good channel to approach you? I'll give both my my uh, email address at Phillips and also my personal one. Um, you know, love the dialogue on this topic and and, and and learn from others as well. You know, for for me, it's uh, Tom dot Andreola at Phillips dot com. Mm-hmm. That's Phillips with one L. And then my personal email is uh, my first initial T Andreola full last name at Yahoo dot com. Okay. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, always love to, to have dialogue and, and also hear other people's stories as well, because uh, it, it is a lot of fun. And I've enjoyed, you know, the opportunity to live this lifestyle. 
Excellent. Thanks for sharing um, uh, so much of your uh, your your personal uh, experience and personal life as well. I'll uh, I'll put the email addresses in the show notes. So if you didn't get the uh, exact email addresses that Tom just gave you, then you can look them up on the website culturematters.com. Tom, thank you so much. After a couple of years, our paths have crossed again. Um, I'm hopeful and pretty sure that in a couple of years they might actually do the same thing again. Thanks so much Absolutely. for your time Chris, in the interview. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks. I hope you like that interview with Tom Andriola on the Culture Matters podcast. If you're downloading this throughout iTunes, you can do me a great favor and head over to iTunes back again and give me a rating if you think that this podcast is worth it. The higher the rating, the higher it'll be in the rankings and the more people are able to find this and then listen to this. All right. Thanks so much. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.